Hello, and welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 48. Thanks for listening. Happy December, everybody. It's December 18th as this episode drops one week before Christmas. There will be an episode of Atari Bytes next week that will drop on Christmas Day. It will be our mystery Christmas episode. Ooh, what's going to happen? Ooh, I don't know. Ooh. Basically, it's just going to be a half hour or so of me going, ooh. Because, evidently, I don't know Christmas from Halloween. So, you know, it worked for Tim Burton with The Nightmare Before Christmas. It could work for me, too. So tune in next week and check that out. But for right now, we've got a non-Christmas episode to deal with. So what's new in the world this week? Donald Trump is still president-elect. It's been snowing. Last week when I recorded an episode... We had gotten, where I live, the first snow. This weekend, as I record, it's been snowing some more. So, you know, I guess it's just bound to do that in the winter. So I probably shouldn't grumble about it. But I will, because I'm an American and I grumble about everything. Uh, In other news, Power of the Daleks is a thing. I've been enjoying on BBC America the weekly airings of the half-hour installments of the animated Power of the Daleks. For those of you not in the know, of course, that is a an animation of a long-lost Doctor Who episode from the 1960s, 1966, actually, called Power of the Daleks. Uh, it was the first story featuring the second actor to play the Doctor, Patrick Troughton. It's one of many, unfortunately, from that era, where the BBC at the time wiped the uh, recordings to save tape, basically. A number of episodes where that happened, they've been able to recover by finding copies in other places. This is one of them they have not. They had the audio track, but not the uh, video. So, what they've done with some of the other stories where they had parts, because in those days, the episodes, the the series was episodic, but a story was made up of multi-parts, you know, usually four or six parts. Power of the Daleks is a six-part story, Others of the four or six part stories, some of them they had maybe three or four of the, the four or six parts, but not all of them. So what they would do is they would put it on a DVD, but they would have animators create the video to go with the missing episodes. And then just put the, the original audio track on. Power of the Daleks, they don't have any of the video, so they animate the whole thing and put the audio with it. And they have released it now, uh, at least on TV and in, in theaters. They had a special theatrical showing in November in various places. I did not get to go to that, unfortunately, but the BBC America here in the United States has been airing the story Power of the Daleks weekly uh, in installments in one episode a week, which is how, of course, Doctor Who aired when it was originally on. It's been kind of fun to watch the story that way because you get spoiled after a while when you have the whole four or six parts on a DVD or it airs on PBS or something as an omnibus you know, one continuous story. You don't have to you know, wait every week to find out what happens. Uh, so it's been kind of fun to do that. Uh, I'm enjoying the story. I'm looking forward to seeing the end of it. I had listened to the audio before, so I, I know the story, but I had not gotten to see the animations until now, and I've been enjoying it. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, if you know classic Doctor Who, or if you're curious about classic Doctor Who, this is a good one to start with. So check that out. Uh, what else is new? Uh, as I said before, Christmas time is here by golly. Christmas is coming whether we like it or not. I like it. Uh, I guess I'm not maybe feeling quite the Christmas spirit I usually do this year, for whatever reason. I'm not depressed about Christmas. It's just kind of like, 
yeah, it's coming, you know. But I got all this other stuff I gotta do, so it hasn't really sunk in completely, I guess, yet. Hopefully you all are having a fine holiday season, whether you celebrate the uh, the holiday or not. So, Yuletide greetings to you in whatever form you wish to take them. What retro-themed gifts are you hoping to find under your tree this year? I don't know that I have any specific requests uh, for retro stuff. Uh, more Atari would be good, uh, of course. I have I have a PlayStation 2. I don't talk about this much, I guess. I, I also have a PlayStation 2. I have a Nintendo 64. When I was a kid, I had uh, you know the original Nintendo system. The, I loved that thing, but it disappeared somewhere after I went away to college. So I don't have that one anymore. But I still have the Nintendo 64. I have a PlayStation 2 that I've had for a long time. I don't have a whole lot of games for them. It might be fun to get some games for those systems. So uh, just because you know, I've kind of neglected them. And it might be fun to pull those out and play them sometime. So if anybody has any Nintendo 64 or um, PlayStation 2 recommendations, uh, let me know. And maybe I'll, I'll check out some of those titles. But other than that, you know, just uh, peace and happiness. Really hoping, you know, as we come into the new year and a new presidency that uh, this time next year um, we're not a smoldering wreckage of a country. So that's a little more political than I'd like to get on the show. So I'll just leave it there. Other news. Atari Movie Update. Sorry, no holiday-themed Atari movie update for you. Santa Claus hasn't left uh, a script deal under my tree. But, you know, there's still time. There's still plenty of Hollywood shopping days before Christmas. So, you know, Atari powers that be. You know, give me a, a jingle. Jingle my bells, as it were. That sounds weird. Anyway, moving on. Shameless self-promotion. I've been doing this for a few weeks now. I promise I will stop once the holiday is over. As I've mentioned before, I am a writer, among other things. And I wrote a novel some years ago, which is timely for this time of year. It's called In the Saint Nick of Time. It's the story of three men who are having a rough holiday season, including you know, one of the three men being Santa Claus. The three men are thrown together in December in the Midwest, and they have to kind of work through the holiday season w- with the help of each other. Cameron Jones is a famous writer who's having a rough time with his writing. He's having a rough time with his ex-wife over their daughter, and he is suffering from weird hallucinations, particularly a foul-mouthed goldfish. His buddy Doug Water Hunt is a multiple alien abductee, conspiracy theorist, has a pathological fear of holiday lights, and he is convinced that aliens are going to visit Earth on Christmas Eve. The third man, as I mentioned, is Santa Claus. He is burned out on being Santa. He quits, and the three men end up thrown together and have to muddle through the holiday season. I think it's a, a, I think it's a good book. I, I think it's uh, got a lot of humor, got a lot of heart, at least I hope it does. It's even got a little gunplay, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. It does have, you know, it, it's geared more towards adults. The themes and the concepts are more adult-oriented. And there's some bad words, the gunplay that I mentioned. So this one isn't really for the kids, even though Santa's in it. I wanted to try and do a Santa Claus story, you know, a, a middle of the, not necessarily middle of the road, sort of an offbeat premise, but sort of a, you know, mainstream Santa Claus story that just happens to be for adults. So if that intrigues you at all, Please do check it out and let me know what you think. The book's not that big. makes a lovely stocking stuffer for someone special if you're so inclined. And it also looks great on a Kindle if that's your speed as well. So thank you in advance for checking that out. In other news, one more news item which is relevant, of course, to this week's podcast. Because... Star Wars Rogue One is in theaters right now. This, of course, is the first sort of standalone, non 
non-series related Star Wars movie set in the Star Wars universe. It's a great idea to do this. That galaxy far, far away is a big place. And there are lots of stories to tell. So I'm happy that they've done this. Uh, you know, it, it's billed as a small story about, you know, in the sense that it's not, you know, fighting Darth Vader, fighting the Empire, destroying the Death Star kind of thing. It's the story of the mission to steal the plans to destroy the original Death Star, which, of course, was the... Destroying the original Death Star, of course, was the plot of Star Wars Episode Four, the original Star Wars movie, you know, the good one. So this movie uh, sets out to tell the story of stealing the plans that, of course, are later in Star Wars Episode Four, given uh, to R2-D2 by Princess Leia that sets up the events in that movie. So I am looking forward to seeing this. I will be honest, I don't have quite the excitement over this one as I did over anticipating the Force Awakens. The Force Awakens felt like revisiting my childhood, which was exciting to me, and obviously a lot of other people. A lot of people really like that movie. A lot of people really hate that movie, too, let's be fair. But this one feels like, um, uh, you know, like I said, it's another story in the Star Wars universe, and I'm looking forward to that, but I don't feel the, quite the same pull to go to the theater as I did with Force Awakens. Um, it, I may still go to the theater with it. Um, you know, my kids are not really Star Wars kids. They've watched the other movies with me, and they kind of liked them well enough, but they're not clamoring to go see this one. I might save the money, spend it on Christmas presents for me, and instead just wait for this one to come out on uh, Blu-ray or something. But we'll see. If I do go see it, I'll let you know. Star Wars Rogue One being out, of course, is relevant because this week's game on the show, I'll be honest, not coincidentally, is... Star Wars Jedi Arena from Parker Brothers, 1983. What we have here with this game, it's not fighting the Empire. It's, I guess it's kind of akin to what Road 1 is, right? It's uh, it's not uh, you know, a story in the line of uh, battling the Death Star, uh, you know, fighting to blow up the Death Star or to defeat Darth Vader or, you know, go train with Yoda to learn the ways of the Force or whatever. It's kind of a, a game within the Star Wars universe. You're not playing, you know, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Yoda and, and none, of those, none of those guys appear in this game. You're just an unnamed Jedi fighting uh, a competition against another unnamed Jedi uh, in, obviously, an arena. There's no greater stakes than that. It's just you and another Jedi uh, playing a game, basically. That is both a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, it's nice that they tried to do something a little different with Star Wars, but, you know, at the same time, like I said, the stakes aren't very high in this game. Um, that takes some of the thrill out of it, I guess, but, I mean, we'll, I guess we'll talk more about that later. So, the manual asks us, will you accept the challenge to become the Jedi Master? Find out if you, a Jedi Knight, are worthy of such a title. Meet your opponent in the Jedi Arena, where you're face-to-face -face in an electrifying laser battle. I see what they did there. Electrifying. You'll see why that's funny later. Use quick reflexes and a swift lightsaber to score once, twice, three times. When you do, you are the Jedi Master. Object. To beat your opponent by winning three Jedi matches. Setting the console controls. To select a game number. Well, we know how to do that. I uh, use the game select switch. Duh. Select the difficulty switch. Position A for difficulty. You have three lines of protection in your force field. Position B you have four lines of protection in your force field. 
In both 1 and 2 player games, the red player used the left difficulty switch and the blue player used the right difficulty switch. Press down the game reset switch and you're ready to start the action. If you're playing on a Sears Video Arcade unit, which I had as a kid, I think... I don't know if I've talked about this before. I think the chronology of my home gaming uh, life as a kid was uh, my brother had Pong, and I got to play that at his house. And then later, I really, really wanted an Atari. Uh, Instead, we got uh, Sears Intelligames, which, of course, was their version of Intellivision, because my dad, for, I don't know, a thousand years, worked for... Sears. I was raised on Sears. We bought all our clothes at Sears. Our appliances came from Sears. If Sears sold it, uh, we got it from there. So when it, it got to be that you know Atari and television and things were a thing, I wanted an Atari. Dad said, no, no, no. Wait till Christmas because this new thing in television is coming out, in games. We're going to get that. And we did. And I liked it. And I, in fact, I, I have it still. I'm looking at it right now. It's it's sitting here on my, you know, with my little gaming area here with my Atari. I've got it and I pull it out every once in a while and play it. So yeah, I guess to back up, I asked for a Nintendo 64 and PlayStation 2 recommendations. If anyone has any Intellivision recommendations for games, I'd be, uh, I'd be down with some of those too, because I do like my Intellivision. But I wanted an Atari. So uh, we got the Intellivision and I liked it. But it was pretty clear I still wanted an Atari. So we ended up, this is a long way, coming around to saying my original Atari was a Sears Atari telegames unit. Something happened to it. It burned out or something. So then we got uh, a legit, quote-unquote, legit Atari 2600. And that's what I am playing on, you know, even today. So, uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. The manual was telling us that if you're playing on a Sears Video Arcade unit... You may find that the difficulty switches are called skill switches, novice and expert. You have four lines of protection in your force field with the novice skill switch. You have three lines of protection in your force field with the expert skill switch. The paddle controls. That's right. You use the paddles with this one. My paddles still work. I noticed when I got them out today that one of them makes this weird rattling sound, which I can't get it to do on the microphone now. There it is. Can you hear that? Yeah. There's something inside the paddle that's making that noise. And I'm thinking that's probably not good. So eventually, I think I will be buying new paddles. Maybe Santa will bring me some. The manual tells us, make sure you plug the paddle controllers firmly into the left controller jack at the back of your video system. Use the paddle for both offensive and defensive strategy. Go on the offense and shoot laser bolts at your opponent by pressing the fire button. Defend yourself from your opponent's laser bolts by turning the paddle dial. Your lightsaber will move left and right to block the bolts. In a one-player game, use the paddle that controls the blue Jedi Knight. The computer is the red Jedi Knight. Which I guess makes sense. You're sort of tacitly playing as the uh, rebel. And, you know, the, the, the rebel, the Luke Skywalker, as it were. Your opponent is, the, the computer is uh, the Empire, right? The Darth Vader character. Even though, as I said, none of those characters actually appear in this game. Playing. This illustration, which you can't see because this is audio, shows a view from the top of the Jedi arena looking down. Both Jedi Knights, red and blue, are in position behind their force fields with difficulty switch set at position B. The seeker is motionless until the players are ready to begin. The game number game level is at the upper left-hand corner. The red Jedi Knight is at the top of the screen. The protective force field is surrounding the red Jedi Knight. The red Jedi Knight lightsaber is, in, is the red sword coming from the red Jedi Knight. The seeker is 
a ball that floats around in the center of the screen and fires lasers at the Jedi Knights. The Blue Jedi Knight is at the bottom of the screen. He also has a protective force field, and he uses the Blue Jedi Knight lightsaber. In a one-player game, the computer is the Red Jedi Knight near the blue. In a two-player game, one player controls the Red Jedi Knight, and the other player controls the Blue Jedi Knight. As the Seeker rolls around the arena, use both offensive and defensive strategy to score points. Both you and your opponent use the Seeker as a weapon. When you press the fire button, a laser bolt, red or blue, depending on your knight's color, will shoot out from the Seeker at your opponent. You control the angle of the laser bolt with your lightsaber by turning the paddle dial in the direction you wish the laser bolt to fire. But be quick, because the Seeker is constantly moving. Watch the position of the Seeker as aim your lightsaber, then fire. Direct a laser bolt at your opponent's force field. Every time you hit a protective line of the field, you'll hear a sound that means you've knocked away a piece of the field. Send a bolt through an opening in the field, and you score. You can use your opponent's laser bolts to your advantage. Whenever a bolt hits your lightsaber, the bolt is frozen to that spot for a brief moment. Take advantage of such a moment to quickly aim a bolt at your opponent. The force field protects you as long as it's there. Whenever a laser bolt hits any protective line of your field, a piece of that line is knocked away. Once all the protective lines in a section have been knocked away, your opponents can score by sending a laser bolt through the opening. Use your lightsaber to block laser bolts directed at your force field. The ultimate challenges. The Wild Seeker and the Invisible Seeker. As you play, the energy in the Seeker builds and builds and builds until it reaches the highest level. When this happens, the Seeker goes wild. It'll zoom around the arena, rapidly shooting multicolored laser bolts at both Jedi Knights. There is no offensive play firing at this time, only defensive, moving lightsabers for for protection. If the Seeker sends a bolt through a knight's force field, the other knight scores a point. Game number 7 and 8 have an invisible Seeker. You won't know where the Seeker is until you fire a laser bolt, but then your, your opponent will also know where it is too. The invisible Seeker also becomes a wild Seeker, the ultimate challenge of the skill of the Jedi Knight. To be honest, I haven't played that version, although I'm kind of intrigued to do so now. I'm just looking at my screen. I still have the game on my TV here, uh, just sort of in the the uh, game hasn't started yet position, and the just notice that the red Jedi Knight, uh, his lightsaber and force field just turned green on the screen for some reason, as did his whole section of the screen. The other one's still blue, but that one's green. I wonder what that means. Anyway, each time a laser bolt gets through your opponent's force field, you score a point and end the match. The action of the game will stop briefly, then resume with the Jedi Knights facing each other from a different side. Players begin again with the new force field in front of them. The game ends when one Jedi Knight has scored three points, won two matches. At that time, the action will stop and the Star Wars theme will play. To play again, press the game reset button. To play again at the same game number. To play at another game number, use the game select switch and then press the game reset. Game 1 is a slow seeker. Game 3 is a one-player medium seeker. Game 5 is a one-player fast seeker. And game 7 is a one-player invisible seeker, medium speed. Games 2, 4, 6, and 8 are the two-player games with varying speeds and, I guess, visibility of the Seeker. Okay, so that is Star Wars Jedi Arena. After the break, we find out if the Force is with us or if the Force went on a coffee break. <sighs> that Force. Can I have my allowance? I'm going to go to the Jedi Arena and watch the competition. Very well. Who will be accompanying you? Oh, you know, 
Just as old guy I met in a cave. He seemed kind of lonely. What is his name? Uh, Ben or something that sounds like Ben, like Obi-Wan or something. I don't know. He seems harmless. Be home before dark, side. So, when I messed around with Jedi Arena, before I looked at the instruction manual, I was a little confused. It took a while to figure out that I was looking from the top down onto a Jedi Arena. Um, even after reading the instructions, this game seems unnecessarily awkward. You know, when they tell you that you're going to play a game where you're um, having a lightsaber battle, you're expecting to, you know, fence with lightsabers. But no, you have to, you're using a lightsaber like a bat. You don't even approach your opponent. You stand at either end of the arena and wave your lightsabers at each other. And you have to use your lightsaber to bat at these lightning bolts that are coming out of the, the striker or whatever that's floating around in the middle. If that was the competition to see who could hit the most of those, that would be okay, I guess. But you're not even doing that. You're using it to... You're trying to basically catch the lightning bolts and shoot them at your opponent. It just seems really awkward. It's kind of frustrating. Um... Not least of which because I'm getting my butt handed to me. I'm landing some hits on the force field, but I'm not. Also, it takes forever to score a point. My opponent just now got a point against me. I'm not crazy about this game, frankly. Spoiler. Other than the Star Wars theme that plays when you put the cartridge in, there's not a whole lot that screams Star Wars to this, other than, you know, I remember the bit when Luke Skywalker and the Millennium Falcon with a blasting helmet on his head is swinging at the, the electric bolts shooting out at him, and Han Solo laughs at him, but... You know, it was part of his lesson to learn about the Force. But, unless you've seen that, and I guess in fairness you wouldn't be playing this game if you hadn't seen that movie, but... I don't know. Well, this may be the dark side talking, but I've had enough of this game for now, so... Back to you in the studio. For a game like this, I guess I have to think about when I think about whether I like this game or not. When I was a, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 year old huge Star Wars fan, went to all the movies in the theater, had all the toys, played Star Wars with the other kids in the neighborhood, would I have liked this game? I am certain I would have wanted this game. Although, looking back, I don't remember specifically uh, looking for this game. I never actually played this one as a kid. I don't know why. I just never had it for some reason, and I don't really remember seeking it out. But if I had gotten it, I don't, 
I don't know that I would have been necessarily all that excited about it at the time. You know, for kind of the reasons I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, none of the traditional Star Wars characters are in it. At that time, there was only the first three f- films, right? So you're talking about Luke and Han and Leia and Chewbacca and, and Darth Vader and those guys. None of the, the new ones from the prequels, none of the characters from the prequels, and of course, Force Awakens. None of that existed. I probably would have wanted the game. I'm not even sure I knew about it, but if I did, I probably would have wanted it. I don't know that I would have hated it, but I probably would have been like, eh, yeah, that's a fine game, I guess. And I guess that's kind of how I feel about it now. Maybe if I played it a little more, maybe it's one of those where if you have an opponent and you're playing against an opponent, it's more fun. The gameplay just seems kind of awkward to me. Uh, it'd be more interesting if you could move your guy around and actually have more of a legit lightsaber fight with the other opponent. I don't know if it was a limitation of the programming at that time or if it was a conscious decision to make the game this way for whatever reason i I guess i I guess i'm not crazy about this game doing a little bit of reading about the game i do see that this was the first star wars video game to feature lightsaber action so it's true i mean mean, this isn't a a fighting tie fighters and x-wings type space battle game either so that's an interesting take on the game but yeah still it just feels lacking to me this game was developed by Rex Bradford following the big success that Parker Brothers had with Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. The game's reception was mixed at the time of release. The sound effects were praised, which seems odd to me because it just seems like a lot of noise. There's not a lot of uh, differentiation in the sound. It's just, you know, light, lightning bolts kind of thing. But people at the time liked the sound effects. And I guess I have to remember, this was the early 80s where you didn't quite have the, you know, all but unlimited sound effects that you can get now. The abstract combat was criticized, which I already have as well. The legacy is largely negative. Several modern critics refer to the game as one of the worst Star Wars games of all time. I can't speak to that, I guess. I haven't played all of them. But yeah, I don't love this game. Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back, actually the sales were not all that great, but they were good enough that Parker Brothers was encouraged to develop more Star Wars titles. During Jedi Arena's development, Parker Brothers relied on the abstract combat that took advantage of the unique techniques and situations of the Star Wars universe. As I said, Rex Bradford programmed it. It's inspired, as I mentioned earlier, by that one scene in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker defends himself from the Seeker's ball, incoming laser bolts with his lightsaber on board the Millennium Falcon. Props to me for thinking of that before I read this. That's why I have a podcast. In a December 11, 1982 issue of Billboard, it was reported that Parker Brothers was developing its second game cartridge, the first being Empire Strikes Back, title Star Wars Jedi Arena, set for release in January 1983. Adam Thompson of Creative Computing Video and Arcade Games likened the mechanism of damaging the opponent's shields to smashing bricks in Breakout. He praised the game's glowing multicolored laser blasts and the sound effects, the latter of which he felt added realism to the game. Uh, like I said, to me, it just sounds like a bunch of noise. Peter Brown of GameSpot thought that the stationary Jedi and abstract combat were opposite to the action that fans were expecting. I agree. Make this more like a, uh, uh, I don't know, like, I guess what's coming to mind is like Berserk or Robotron, you know, for the 7800 or something, where your guy actually gets to move around and, and fight other Jedis or uh, other, um, uh, you know, Sith Lords or something, instead of just this sort of stationary waving your, your lightsaber like a bat kind of thing. On the other hand, Matt Dorval of Blaster ranked the game number 31 on the website's list of 50 Star Wars games ranked from worst to best, admitting that Jedi Arena was not bad at the time of release and that the game did offer an entertaining gameplay. Guinness World Records 2017 Gamers Edition 
uh, credited Jedi Arena for being the first Star Wars video game to feature lightsaber action. So, you know, props for that, but yeah, I still don't love this game. No matter how much of the stuff I read, I still don't love this game. If you think I'm wrong about that, uh, let me know. If uh, you have a favorite Atari 2600 Star Wars game, let me know what that is and why. If, if I don't know if there is a Star Wars 7800 game, but if there is, let me know that because I do happen to have an Atari 7800 and I'm looking for good titles uh, to play around with on that. So, there you go. All of this is well and good, but of course on this show, what we want to know is why are the things in the game happening the way that they're happening? We get that this is not fighting the Empire. This is a Jedi competition. You know, do a little sports psychology here. Why are they competing? What could be driving them to, instead of spending time preparing for uh, the Rebellion, why are they screwing around with um, uh, a Jedi competition? Why, I asked you, why? Well, I happen to know why. Because, again, podcast. I know this is a game based on that scene from Star Wars Episode Four, Luke Skywalker, but, uh, or at least inspired by it, not necessarily based on it, but inspired by that scene. I, on the other hand, think that this feels more like something that would have happened in Star Wars Episode One. Phantom Menace, you know, because it's an opportunity to show off some flashy special effects. Um, the stakes are pretty low. There's not a lot of action, frankly. So it just feels more at home in, in episode one. And of course, that means we get to revisit our buddy, little Annie Skywalker. Little Annie Skywalker leaps lightly from his pod racer after yet another endless pod race, wakes up Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, and runs to get a milkshake. On his way, he sees the beautiful Padme. He is smitten and runs up to her. I'm going to marry you someday, he says. She's like, yeah, okay, whatever, kid. Behind him, the Jedi Masters, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon are placing bets. Yoda puts a 20 on them getting married. Qui-Gon scoffs. Yoda just smiles and says, Also thought Battleship would do bigger box office you did. Obi-Wan laughs at Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon just smirks because he cashed a big, huge check for being in Battleship. You can't spend force bucks, but you can spend good old American currency. Alright, that's the setup. Anakin Skywalker is in love with the much older Padme Amidala. Let's throw in some rising action, even though uh, Star Wars Episode One didn't necessarily know how to do that. Anakin is thinking about this. Padme is sure to notice me now. I've got an idea. I'm going to be a Jedi. This makes it not at all creepy that a 20-something woman is supposed to fall in love with a grade schooler. But first... I just gotta win this contest. I'm gonna hop in my pod racer and go to the Jedi Arena. Alright, so Anakin Skywalker's gonna enter the Jedi Arena and he's gonna best all of the other Jedis and win Amidala's heart. So this seems like a good time for a climax. Anakin's a little nervous. These Jedi are good. I mean, I'm good, but the lightsaber's like even taller than me, so that makes it a little awkward. And man, these guys are way gooder than me. I'm not sure gooder is a word, but the Jedi school system sort of lacking. Uh, not a lot of funding going into uh, schools. Mostly it goes to those two-handle lightsabers and uh, robes. Oh no! Now it's not just Jedis, it's that sword-swinging guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's he doing here? Oh no! Now it's Daffy Duck as Robin Hood. And he's got a quarterstaff. Actually, it's a buck and a quarter quarterstaff. But I'm not going to tell him that. If you are a Looney Tunes classic fan, you know that reference. It's hilarious. 
Go look it up on YouTube. Falling action. It's not fair. Daffy Duck and and Raiders of the Lost Ark films are so much better than this one. Or, I mean these opponents are so much tougher than me. And I'm just a little kid. Hey, Padme, looking good. I can't possibly win. It's not like I'm going to grow up to lead an evil empire by harnessing the dark side of the force. I can't even get a straw into a juice box the first time. The fighting drags on for a while. Anakin actually does okay. Special effects are a young Jedi's friend. But eventually even the droids get bored, and the concession stand stops selling smuggled Romulan ale. So everyone drifts away. Sort of sorry that they came. They'd like the earlier Jedi contest. So much more. And this one should have just been better, darn it. So we slide slowly, painfully into the resolution of this little story. Little Annie Skywalker stands in the snow. Wait, when did it start snowing? Pondering his future. Absolute power. The total domination of all things. Crushing any rebellion. Possibly building a protocol droid. The origin on that one is a little murky. The lights go down in the Jedi arena until a sequel. The only sound that can be heard is the gentle but insistent tap-tap-tap on a locked door. Someone accidentally locked Jar Jar Binks inside. Oh well. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or, what that? Follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. You can find Atari Bytes on iTunes, where you should use the force to leave a review. If this is not the podcatcher you're looking for, try Stitcher or iHeartRadio or TuneIn or many, many other places. But if you do go to iTunes, do leave that review. You want to leave a review. Also, you can support the show financially on our Patreon page, the Atari Bytes Patreon page. And you can pick up cool Atari Bytes merchandise for, I don't know, maybe Christmas or something at Zazzle.com. And if you have the time during this rushed holiday season, do check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. It's pretty good, if I do say so myself. We've got a big holiday-themed episode this month, and new episodes on the 15th of every month. So, check that out. Next time on Atari Bytes. It's our holiday special. Woohoo! The episode drops literally on Christmas Day. What game will Santa leave under the tree? Tune in to find out. Ho, ho, ho. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.